New Horizon has been serving the church in Northern Ireland since 1989, and we're delighted to bring you this talk today. We trust you will be blessed through this ministry. Well, thank you very much, Mark, for uh, your prayers and your welcome. And again, thank you to Jonathan and Steph for the, uh, the music. I think that second song that we uh, sang just about sums up my heart for this session. Give me, give me Jesus. What more could we ask than that? Jesus, supreme in everything. And as he breaks the bread of life to us today, that's our prayer. Give me, give me Jesus. Well, uh, I hope you're uh, enjoying this fantastic weather and enjoying New Horizon. We are very much. I kind of feel we need to rename this area as Costa del North Coast with this incredible Mediterranean weather. Absolutely glorious. And I hope you're enjoying it as much as we are. Trying to kind of acclimatize. I've been working a bit on my uh, Northern Irish um, with the, uh, the, the book that I was given at the beginning. And uh, I liked one that uh, I read about um, Annie... Ferderadu. Have you heard of Annie Ferderadu? She is an imaginary female Northern Irish speaker in whose absence all proceedings begin, as in, without Annie Ferderadu, we'll get stuck in. <laughs> so that seemed an appropriate start for this morning. So without any further ado, let's get stuck in to Colossians chapter 1. And uh, I'm going to be reading from verses 15 to 23 of Colossians 1. So you might want to open that in a Bible or on a device and have it in front of you. We're going to spend our time this morning almost entirely in those verses. Colossians 1, verse 15. Let's hear God's word read. The Son, the Lord Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. That's our key phrase for this morning. In everything, he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, under which I, Paul, have become a servant." Well, last week, Alison and I were actually up on the northeast coast of Scotland doing a little event up there. And uh, one evening, in fact, it was the opening night, we, uh, we sang that old song of Robin Mark, who I think is from these parts, isn't he? I wonder if you know the song, Jesus, all for Jesus, all I am and have 
and ever hoped to be. All of my ambitions, hopes, and plans, I surrender these into your hands. For it's only in your will that I am free. It's only in your will that I am free. Jesus, all for Jesus. All I have and am and ever hope to be. We don't sing that song so often now, but I always loved it in the days when we used to. But as we sang it again up in Scotland last week, it struck me just how radical that song actually is. Jesus, all for Jesus. Why is that radical? Well, if I'm honest, in so many ways, I still want to really live life on my own terms. Oh, of course, with Jesus there to help me, to help me achieve my goals so that I can feel some pleasure in feeling impressed with myself and find satisfaction by pretty much getting what I want out of life. I want Jesus, but I often want him on my terms to help me with my agenda. And, I mean, what is there not to like about that? This is getting your cake and eating it, isn't it? Because I get the life I wanted for myself, and I get the comfort of faith now, and the hope of eternal life. I mean, how good is that? It's kind of Jesus as the icing on the cake of a nearly but not quite perfect, almost sorted life. The little bit more version of Jesus. But what if the stuff that I actually want out of life really is just a product of the echo chamber of my own little social circle? What if my vision of life is actually a selling out on real life? What if starting and finishing with me and my wants and desires actually just makes my world too small, too restricted? so that I miss out on life. I want to say to you this morning, friends, the Jesus who is there will just never be that little bit more kind of Jesus. He doesn't exist to be a nice kind of flavor-enhancing sprinkle of sugar to bring a little bit more zing onto my existing view of the world. No, he exists to totally remake my world and the way that I see it. And I believe that our minds will never be renewed to think Christianly unless we let go of that kind of top-up view of Jesus that still leaves us at the center of our worlds. The Christian mind is so much more radical than that. The Christian mind begins with Jesus, ends with Jesus, and gives supremacy to Jesus for every bit of life in between. So to be a Christian is to be a worshiper who finds your joy not in yourself and in the satisfaction of your desires, but who finds your joy in another, in Jesus, because he's supreme in your heart. To be a Christian is to be a servant of another whose life is directed by the master, Jesus. To be a Christian is to be a remade human being who's dethroned that great idol of self and now sees life through the lens of the supremacy of this awesome Jesus.
And this is very much the Jesus of Colossians 1 that we're diving into this morning. He's revealed here in two main ways as the Jesus who is supreme in creation and also the Jesus who is supreme in new creation or in salvation. Let's think first of all about his supremacy in creation, which I believe to be quite a neglected area in Christian thinking. Verses 15 and 16. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. The church where I've been working for the last 18 years is right in the middle of Southampton on the high streets. And less than half a mile away from our church building, there is a statue of Isaac Watts, the great hymn writer, when I survey and all that. Well, the surrounding park is, is kind of named after him, the Watts Park, although the city authorities now prefer to call it the West Park to try and sort of downplay the significance of his legacy, I guess. But still, the tune of his old hymn, O God, Our Help in Ages Past, chimes out over the city through the central clock tower every four hours. I guess it was originally our city's way of honoring one of its most famous sons. Well, that's great, but do you know, for Jesus... The whole creation exists to honor him. Did you notice that little word for that joins verses 15 and 16 together? He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, because in him all things were created, and so on. The whole thing is for him. Let me just unpack it briefly. First of all, his status over creation. And there are two titles given to him in verse 15. He's the image of the invisible God. That's to say, he embodies in himself all that it is to be truly human. But more than that, it's to say that he is himself the eternal image of God after which we ourselves were fashioned in the divine image. But even more than that, to say he's the image of the invisible God is to say that he is the one who makes visible within creation the invisible God. No one has ever seen God, says John in his gospel. But the word came among us to make him known. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The visible image of the invisible God. That's the first title. But then the second title is that he is the firstborn over all creation, which does not mean, as the Arians and their modern counterparts have told us, that he was the first to be created because he is the uncreated eternal word of the Father. Now, what the image means here, as it does in Psalm 89, the image of the firstborn, is that he is supreme. He is first in creation. Why? Well, verse 16 Explains And just notice the three little phrases in verse 16. He's first in creation because in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him, or literally towards him, to him. You got that? In him, through him, and to him. Everything that exists. 
his role in creation, in him and through him. All things were created in him, which I guess, I'm not quite sure what it means, to be honest, but as far as I can gather, it means something like this, that nothing that exists was created apart from him or independent of him, and that he is the wisdom, the word, who gives to all of creation its unity, its order, its coherence. It's in him. But it's also through him, it's created through him, which is back in John chapter 1 to remind us that he is the eternal word of God who spoke the universe into existence. It's in him and it's through him, but it's also to him or for him. That is, this is his reward from creation. The whole of creation finds its goal, its significance, its wholeness in Christ, and it exists to give him glory. Now, Let's just pause for breath. Because it seems to me that perhaps we've given too much ground away at this point. Given too much ground to those who are quite happy to keep Jesus in the church, but want to keep him out of the workplace, of the classroom, of healthcare, of parenting, out of the public square so that he's not relevant to our work to wealth creation, to our mental health, to our politics. Now, just so you don't misunderstand me, I'm not here talking at all about the kind of attitude to Jesus in the workplace that means that we can be shoddy in our work because we spend all our time there just trying to convert our colleagues. And when it comes to public square, I'm not arguing for a privileged place for Christians in what is an increasingly post-Christian society in public square. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about the way that we think and the way that we experience and enjoy life and the values that guide us in our day-to-day -day life and the calling to live our day-to-dayness in Jesus' world, the world that is his and that exists for him. In the famous words of Abraham Kuyper, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is Lord over all, does not exclaim, it's mine, it's mine. So, when you go up to the strands, enjoy a beautiful beach, or you look out to the west and God has painted the sky with another unique and glorious sunset, Enjoy it and give your enjoyment to Jesus as worship because it's all made in him and through him and for him. And when you recycle responsibly and try and pay attention to your carbon footprint, make your joyful stewardship, not just a little bit of woke political correctness, but Joyful obedience of Jesus because it's his creation you're looking after. And he gave you that job. It's for him. It's his. And when we speak into the public square, let it not be driven by fear that our rights are diminishing. Because if that's our predominant framework, we become just another pressure group. Heaven help us. We're called to be so much more than that. Let it rather be driven by confidence that this is Jesus' world that we're speaking into. That the values and ethics of the kingdom are the best pathway to human flourishing. And therefore we speak into the public square, not just for our advantage, 
but the flourishing of the whole of our communities. Because Jesus is the king of the kingdom whose values we proclaim. He's the one who made us, the one in whose wisdom we hold together. And when we're at work and that thought crosses our minds that we're just here to pay the bills so that we can do the really important stuff of church and mission and quiet times and evangelism. No, banish that thought. We are working in Jesus' world. We're working in the world that he made, that he commissioned us to steward. And we're working there for Jesus, the true master, and we'll be rewarded by him. I love in uh, Ephesians 6, where Paul is talking to slaves and masters, and he talks to the slaves, and, and he tells them that what they are doing, they can do for Jesus. Now, imagine what those slaves would have been doing. A lot of it would have been apparently very unspiritual, very unglamorous. They were cleaning loos. They were educating unruly kids. They were just doing whatever the master told them. It was not a great life. Nothing salubrious. Nothing obviously spiritual. And Paul says to them, no, you can do that for Jesus. And he will reward you for it. It's Jesus' world. He's supreme in all of creation. It's his. It's made in him. It's made through him. It's made for him. So I want to encourage us as we think about having our minds renewed by the gospel. Let's stretch our minds to embrace a vision of Jesus that moves out beyond the walls of the church and into the streets of our cities and communities. Let's stretch our minds to embrace a vision of mission which integrates concern to, express, uh, to address people's spiritual poverty with a passion to work for human flourishing in all of its dimensions because that's Jesus' business. He made us. And for those of us who are pastors... Let's see our ministry as equipping people to live for Jesus, not only in his church, but also in his world 24-7. The real Jesus is just so much bigger than we often think, and so much bigger than we often portray him to be. He's supreme in all creation. Verses 17 and 18 feel kind of transitional between the spheres of creation and redemption or new creation. They remind us first of Jesus' supremacy over creation and creation's dependence on him. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. For those of us, or those of you, I'm not a scientist, but for those who are interested in, in particle physics, this does not mean, of course, that now that we know about the Higgs boson, there's no room left for Jesus because the Higgs boson holds everything together. Now, what it means is that Jesus knew about the Higgs boson before Peter Higgs was even born because he created it. It was his idea. He's sovereign over particle physics. It is in him and in his wisdom that creation, even in its physicality, hangs together and on him that we depend for every breath that we take. But then the focus begins to shift and turn towards the church. Verse 18, he is the head of the body, 
the church, the community of salvation, the beginning of the new creation. And then in that new creation, Jesus is supreme. Verse 18, he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Supreme over creation, supreme over salvation and new creation, therefore supreme over everything. Now, the structure of these verses, verses 18 to 20, quite closely mirror that of the first section. So just as we had those two titles that explained his status over creation, we've now got two titles that explain his status in the new creation. Middle of verse 18, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Pause there. Why do we need a new creation? I mean, isn't the existing one pretty good? See a sunset on the strand? It looks pretty good to me. What's wrong? Well, that word dead is the clue. The creation that was made in and through and for Christ and to thrive under the rule of human beings, commissioned as his image bearers to be his representatives, that creation has been led into death and destruction by the very ones who were commissioned to bring about its flourishing. But there is hope, because through his death and resurrection, Jesus has broken through death and into life. He is the beginning of the journey of restoration. Not only in the sense that he's the first to enter the new creation, but he's the founder. He's the first. And similarly, he's the firstborn from among the dead. Not just in the sense that he was the first to rise, but that he is, again, supreme over the new creation. His resurrection has begun that process of new creation, the renewal of all things. And in that renewed world, which comes to all its beautiful flowering when he returns and makes everything new. Within that new creation, Jesus is supreme and sovereign. He is the great restorer, the restorer of our humanity, making us back into all that we were meant to be. I thought it was so brilliant what Ben said to us last night, that yes, the forgiveness of our sins is crucial in order for us to be reconciled to God. But let's not just stop there. We are forgiven our sins for something, that we might be intimate with God and have the whole of our humanity restored as the alienation from God and from creation, from other people, even from ourselves, is ended through the cross. He's the great restorer of humanity and of the whole of creation itself. Remember the creation which was created to be oriented around and towards Christ. It was to him. It was for him. And that, that Christ-oriented order has been shattered by human sin. But now, in Jesus, it's being re-established in order that once again, in everything, he would have the supremacy. His status in the new creation but then verses 19 and 20 talk about how this new creation has come about. Just as in verse 16 we had explanation of how the creation came about, now the new creation. And do you remember we had those three phrases, in him, through him, and to him, in relation to the creation. Now in relation to the new creation, we've got exactly the same again. In him, through him, and to him. First, this astonishing claim about Christ in verse 19, that God in all his fullness was pleased to dwell in him. There's the first word, in him. 
In other words, when Jesus walked the earth, he was God without remainder, stepping into human history, stepping into our world in all its brokenness in order to bring salvation and restoration. And at what a cost, because he makes peace, verse 20, through his blood shed on the cross. But he didn't come to destroy the world, alienated as it was through our rebellion. He came rather to restore it by taking that alienation onto himself as he carried our sins to the cross and paid their penalty as if they were his own. And see the scope of what he's done. He's not only reconciled us to himself, but in doing that, he is reconciling the whole of creation to himself. Verse 20, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The whole creation So that in Revelation 21 verse 5, at the climax of history, he says, behold, I make everything new. Friends, we mustn't diminish the Jesus who is there by making the whole of the story of salvation just about us. Oh, it's wonderful that he reconciles us to himself. Hallelujah. Isn't that incredible? We can live our lives in intimate communion with the God of the universe. But it isn't all about us because the whole of creation is for Jesus. And he loves it all. And therefore, he has a plan to reconcile all of it to himself through the cross. We need this big vision of Jesus and what he has come to do. The gospel is total transformation. Not just transformation of me and my world, but total transformation of the whole structure and shape of reality. And then we see his reward from the new creation. Again in verse 20, through him to reconcile to himself all things. Now, the NIV in translation here, along with most translations, assumes that what's being said here is that all things are reconciled to God in Christ. And of course, that is true. But I tend to agree with one of the commentators, Douglas Moo, who says that what Paul actually means here is that through the cross, the creation is reconciled specifically to Christ. Because remember, it was actually created to have that orientation towards Christ in the first place. It was made in him and through him and to him, oriented towards him, looking towards him, existing for his glory. And that Christ orientation of the whole of creation is what human sin has broken and what is now restored through the cross. So that once again, the whole of creation looks toward Christ and exists for his glory. The new creation for him. Well, let's anchor that for a minute. Let's earth it in reality. So often we tell our testimony stories, don't we? As if it's really just all about us and the satisfaction of our aspirations and our desires. And it's wonderful that the Lord does step in and and heal individuals. But let's just think for a moment about the story of salvation existing for the glory of Jesus. Let me tell you about Sue, a friend of mine, whose mum was uh, in the sex industry and uh, one day left Sue and her sister at home when they were kids, leaving the gas stove on but not alight so that the flat filled with gas. 
And there was a big explosion in which Sue's sister was killed. Sue was very bitter for years after that. But she heard that we were running a, uh, a breakfast for homeless people in our church. And she thought, that sounds good. I'd like to cook to help. And she was cooking in pubs and things at the time. So she was a brilliant uh, cook. Um, and so she turned up and she said, you know, um, I'm a white witch and a neo-pagan. Um, and I'd like to cook in your homeless breakfast. And we're kind of scratching our heads and thinking, is that okay? Uh, is that all right? Um, greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. It's fine. Jesus is Lord. Let's say yes. She can cook the sausages for us. That would be great. So she did. And she was cooking the sausages alongside people who were passionate about Jesus and who began to talk about what Jesus was doing in their lives. And within just a couple of months, Sue had become a Christian. And she was baptized a few months later. And the final words in her testimony were, Mum, I forgive you. And this whole burden of bitterness had been released. She's transformed. Think of another friend of mine. I'm going to call him Ahmed. It's not really his name. But he grew up in Iran. And uh, he was fairly, from a fairly poor background. And so he resolved he was going to be a builder. And uh, kind of build his way out of poverty for himself and his family. And by his late 20s, he'd done it. He built a nice house for himself and for his, uh, his family. And then he got bored. And he moved out of building, started selling cars, and um, started drinking a lot and smoking a lot of opium. And it was messing up his life big time. And his marriage was right at the end. It was not looking like it was going to survive. Things were terrible at home. And because his marriage was falling apart, he thought, I've got to do something about this opium thing. And so he joined a, a Narcotics Anonymous group in Iran. What he didn't know was that the leader of that group was a closet underground Christian. And you may know within um, AA and NA, one of the things you have to have as part of your rehab is some kind of identify some kind of higher power as the inspiration uh, for your journey uh, through uh, recovery. And so he said to the person, look, I'm afraid I'm already disillusioned with Islam. Don't tell me that that's where I'm going to find my higher power. And I've tried all this before. You said, you know, have your family as your higher. It didn't work. It didn't work. Tell me, who is the higher power that can get me out of this? And the leader of his NA group took him outside quietly and said, don't tell anyone I told you. But the only person who can save you is Jesus. And he said, the moment I heard that word, it was like an electric current passed through my body. And I knew it was true. He went home with a copy of the Jesus video. And instead of beating his wife, he sat down beside her and said, darling, we've got to look at this together. Very soon, they were both followers of Jesus. Actually, within about six weeks, they had to leave the country because their lives were under threat. That was the reality for my friend. But he is, I know him well. He's a dear friend. He is one of the loveliest, kindest, gentlest, giant kind of a people you would ever meet. Utterly, utterly transformed by Jesus. I think of my friend Vic, orphaned as a child, living homeless on the streets of Southampton, imprisoned for burglary. And then in the prison, he meets Jesus and his life is turned around. And a Baptist minister believes in him and invests in him and gives him a chance. And he goes on to become a Baptist minister himself and travel into Ukraine and South Africa and across the world. He's brought thousands of people to faith in Jesus and transformed the lives of orphans and prisoners in their hundreds. 
This is what our Jesus can do. This is the Jesus of new creation. And we tell those stories not to tell how great those people are, though we love them dearly. We tell those stories to say, this is, this is our Jesus. This is the Jesus who is sovereign over creation and sovereign over new creation and works to bring restoration to real people in the middle of history for the sake of his glory. And to have our minds renewed is to dethrone ourselves from the center of our worlds and to see this big Jesus and put him there instead. So that our joy is no longer focused in ourselves and what we accomplish, but in him we become worshippers. So that the whole direction of our life is no longer uh, determined by just our ambitions, but is set by the master. So that the whole of our worldview becomes a Jesus-centered worldview. Because everything is for him. He's supreme in the world. He's supreme in the church. He's supreme in creation. He's supreme in salvation. He's worshipped as creator. He's worshipped as saviour. This is our Jesus. And I hope you're not just sitting there listening and watching your clock. I hope in your heart you are worshipping him right now. The Jesus supreme over everything. Let me conclude with a few thoughts on the supremacy of Jesus and us, our story. Verses 21 to 23. Once you were alienated from God, and that word alienated, of course, arises because we've just had the word reconcile, verse 20. A reconciliation is only necessary where first there is alienation. So he's talking there about the reconciliation of the whole universe, but now he's saying, now let's focus down on your story. You were alienated from God, we were, were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. I want us just to think about how acknowledging the supremacy of Jesus and being reconciled to God in him calls us to begin to live the future. Because remember, the reconciliation of all things is where history is going. It's um, oh, about 35 years ago, in a rather average terraced house in a back street of Bedford, that uh, I asked Alison if she would marry me. And happily, once she got over her shock, she agreed. Almost immediately, our lives began to change, even though it was actually nearly uh, 20 months before we were actually married. But from then on, things changed. Our spare time was spent preparing for the wedding. Spare money was saved so that we'd be able to set up a home. People started to view us differently. We were viewed more as a couple within our families and within our circle of friends. And most important of all, we had to start to learn about each other's aspirations and preferences and way of doing things because we were going to be sharing life together. The marriage was still to come, but everything about our lives in the present was to be shaped by that future reality. And according to Paul, that's how the Christian life is meant to work. 
That's actually what the renewed mind is all about. The complete reconciliation of all things in Christ, that's the future. That's where God's purpose is going. That's what's going to happen for sure. But though we were alienated, we are reconciled now through Christ's physical body in death. In other words, the future which is going to come to the whole of creation is already being foreshadowed within the church and within the life of every Christian. And this is what shapes and reshapes our mind. Do you remember how we saw on the first day how this idea of the renewal of the mind, it's a future-oriented kind of concept because that's where it's all going, the renewal of the whole of creation, the reconciliation of the whole of creation in Christ. That's where it's going. And to have our minds renewed is to begin to think the future now. And to have our lives renewed is to begin to live the future now. We are called in the middle of time to start living the Christ-centered life that is the destiny of the whole of creation. Let me share a little model that I've found helpful for this in recent years. A long while ago, Francis Schaeffer, a significant thinker in the second half of the last century, spoke about these four alienations which define the human condition but which the gospel addresses. He spoke about our spiritual alienation for which we are reconciled to God through the cross. He spoke about our social alienation and reminded us that we are reconciled to each other through the cross, Ephesians 2. He spoke about our emotional or psychological alienation, that we are out of step with our true identity. We're broken inside. We don't have that psychological congruence that hangs together. There's an internal alienation. And we are reconciled to our true selves through the cross because in Christ, we know who we are. We call God our Father. We are his dearly loved children. And then he spoke about our, about our ecological alienation, that we are alienated from creation, Genesis 3. And that is also, as we've seen in Colossians 1, addressed through the cross, because all things are reconciled to God through him. Now, you can put those four kind of reconciliations around the faces of a cube as a kind of summary of the gospel of all that God has done. But then you can look at that cube through the other two faces. And I find it really helpful to do this. So you look through the missional face of that cube and say, okay, what do we exist for in the world? If we are meant to be foreshadowing the reconciliation of all things in Christ in the way that we move into society, in the contribution we make missionally into our world, what, what, what does that mean? What's the shape of it? Well, it's defined by those four reconciliations. We are called to address spiritual poverty because the gospel reconciles us to God. We are also called to address social poverty because the gospel reconciles us to one another, Ephesians 2. We are also called to address psychological or emotional poverty because the gospel helps us understand who we truly are and heals our inner brokenness. We were talking in the car earlier on about ministries like Kintsugi Hope that are doing this very wonderfully. And we are called also to address material poverty 
Because the gospel actually brings about the reconciliation of all things, the whole of creation in Christ. Four dimensions which define our mission. All of it, we are sent into the world to live for Jesus. Because this is the future of the universe. This is where it's going. This is the destiny. And we are called to begin to foreshadow that destiny in the way that we move missionally into the world. But you can also look at it through the discipleship phase because the journey into the Christian life and the journey on through the Christian life, they've got to be coherent together. They fit. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, let's look through the discipleship phase. We're thinking about reconciliation to God. Well, that's to do with the dimension of our spirituality, how we build intimacy with God in the way that Ben has been talking over the last few evenings. That's a wonderful central part of our discipleship, but actually it's not the whole thing, is it? Because God is wanting to restore everything. So we need to think about our social alienation. Part of our discipleship is to make the journey with other people so that we're building community, authentic, healthy relationships. That's part of the journey of discipleship. But then we need to think also about our emotional brokenness, our psychological alienation, and be on that journey towards wholeness as we discover who we really are in Jesus and how that can give us a stable place, a secure place for our identity. But then we're also called to steward the resources of creation well because actually God wants to address that alienation with creation. So, so stewardship and justice are part of our discipleship as well. Four dimensions of mission, four dimensions of discipleship. The journey in and the journey on, they fit together. It's incredibly simple. But you know, I would love to see us reimagining our approach to the Christian life and to the mission of our churches right where God has placed us in our communities around this kind of big gospel vision. Because friends, the church is not called to be a slowly vanishing relic of the past. It's called to be a bold, living out loud prototype of the future. Because what God is planning to do for the whole of creation when Christ returns, he's already begun to do us. You were alienated, but now you're reconciled. Can you see how crazy it is when as Christians we get stuck in the past? Because we are called to be the people of the future, leading creation into its destiny. Not lagging behind and kicking our heels. Jesus, supreme in everything. You remember that song? Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. This is the Jesus he gives. Not the top-up Jesus, but the Jesus who is supreme in everything. The Jesus who is gloriously sovereign over all of creation. The Jesus who is graciously sovereign in all of salvation and new creation. This is the real Jesus. Can I ask you, as I finish, to turn your eyes upon this Jesus and look full into his wonderful face. Not the diminished Jesus that we so often make him, but the real Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The Jesus who made you and fashioned you and formed you for himself. The Jesus who died that you might live and calls you to himself. 
to remake you into all that he wants you to be. The Jesus who claims every square inch of our existence as his own and calls us to share in his ministry and mission of reconciliation. He's supreme in creation. He's supreme in new creation. He's supreme in everything. Friend, is he supreme in your life and mine? Is he supreme in your worship? Or is your real interest in whether you like the songs today? Is he supreme in the life of your church? Or has it become a battleground for everyone just trying to get their own way? Heaven help us. Is he supreme in your ambitions? Or 24-7 are you a practical atheist when it comes to career, wealth, material aspiration? Is he supreme in your marriage? Is he supreme in your singleness? Is he supreme in your relationships? Supreme in your family? Supreme in your work? Supreme in your leisure? Supreme in your shopping? Supreme in your politics? Supreme in your thinking? Supreme in your hearts? This morning I want to call you and invite you, whether for the first time or as a renewal and recommitment of your life, to leave behind a worldview which puts you first and central and embrace a new life centered on this magnificent Jesus. Let's pray. And in the silence, we pause to worship this Jesus, supreme in everything. Jesus, all for Jesus, all I have and am and ever hope to be. All of my ambitions, hopes and fears, I surrender these into your hands. For it's only in your will that I am free. Yes, it's only in your will that I am free. Jesus, all for Jesus. All I am and have and ever hope to be. Amen. Thank you for listening to this talk. If you would like to know more about New Horizon, please visit our website at newhorizon.org.uk.